Who's the greatest? Uh, we love to have those kind of discussions, don't we? Uh, regardless of what areas they're in. For instance, if we're talking about basketball, we're talking uh, who's the greatest? Was it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? If we're talking about NFL running backs, we might be talking about Gale Sayers or Jim Brown. For those of you who consider soccer to be a sport, uh, you might consider Messe or Pele. Uh, uh, ladies, you might come to who's the, the best female vocalist of all time. You may say Whitney Houston, my personal favorite, or Adele, or, or someone else that you might put in there. Uh, when it comes to preachers, we can ask the question, uh, who's the, the greatest preacher uh, right now? And some would say John MacArthur, and others would say, no, that has to be Andy Stanley. Uh, we can look back and say, who was the greatest evangelist? Was it Billy Graham or was it Dwight L. Moody? And of course, we have the one who proclaimed himself to be the greatest, none other than Muhammad Ali. And so, who is the greatest? We have those kind of discussions. And this morning, we're going to talk about greatness and how we can be great. So we look at the passage. I want to start with a probing question. A probing question. So the disciples have been traveling. They passed through Galilee. They've now come to Capernaum. Capernaum seems to be kind of the, the central spot where Jesus is going out in his ministry from. Uh, Capernaum is the place where Simon Peter lived. And it very well may be that they're in Simon Peter's home. And Jesus asks a question of them and he says, Hey, what were you guys talking about there on the road while we were traveling? Now remember, Jesus never asks a question for information. He always asks a question to drive home a, a point or to teach a lesson. What were you guys talking about? And there's total silence in the room. Have you ever found yourself in that type of situation before? Uh, maybe you're with someone else and you're talking about someone and suddenly that person shows up and says, hey guys, what were you talking about? Oh, nothing, nothing. You don't tell them the truth. You know, we were talking about what a big pain you are, uh, but since you're here, we're not going to say that uh, to you. There's complete silence in the room. What were you talking about? And so whether Jesus heard them discussing this or whether he just knows, uh, he knows that what they were doing is they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. Now, we don't know for sure what it is that spurred on this conversation. It may have been an event that happened earlier in the chapter when Jesus was transfigured. If you'll remember, he went up on the mountain and he took with him Peter, James, and John. 
And there they saw Jesus transfigured before their eyes. And Jesus tells them, hey, I don't want you to tell the the other disciples about this. And so if four individuals have been off and come back and join the group, what's the normal natural question that someone's going to ask? Hey, what were you guys doing? And their answer has to be something like, well, we're, we're really not allowed to tell you. And, and maybe implied in that is a little bit of, you know, if you were as close to Jesus as we are close to Jesus, you would have been able to see it too. Or if you were a little higher here on this disciple list, if you were a little greater, then maybe you would have been able to see it. I don't know what spurred on this conversation, but something happened for them to start talking about and arguing about who is the greatest among them. You know, it's interesting that here and in other places where the disciples argue about greatness, Jesus doesn't say to them, that you should not aspire to be great. Actually, there's something built in to each and every one of us that we should desire to do the best at whatever we are doing. There is built within us a desire, especially as Christians, that we should do the best that we are capable of in obeying and serving our Lord. So the Lord doesn't rebuke them For their desire to be great, he is going to rebuke them because of what goes with it when you think you're the greatest. Because what happens when you think you're the greatest, you expect a little respect. You expect some privilege to go along with that. See, before Christ redeems us, Uh, We are all like crack addicts addicted to ourselves. We are like alcoholics intoxicated with ourselves. We're not interested in serving. We're interested in being served. We're not interested in giving. We're interested in receiving. We're not interested in pursuing God's way. We are more interested in getting our own way because that's what comes with being self-centered and proclaiming ourselves to be the greatest. Well, in verse 35, it says that Jesus sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Don't miss this. Being first means being last. And being last means the servant of all. Being first means being last. And being last means that you're being a servant. And to illustrate that to them, 
It's, it tells us in the passage that he took a child and put him in the midst of them. Now, this may very well have been, you know, a child of Peter. If they're actually in Peter's home, it could be one of Peter's children that he puts there in the, the midst of the disciples. And Jesus takes this child into his arms. Because, see, there, there's something about children. Uh, a child is not someone who has influence. A child is not going to advance somebody else's career. A child is not going to give to you prestige. Matter of fact, a child pretty much can't give to us much at all. A child needs things. A, a child must have things done for him. A child is not intimidating to others. When's the last time you were walking down an, an alley and you were scared of a four-year-old that was in the alley? Now, it appeared in the first service that a lot of the people in that service are intimidated by four-year-olds <laughs> because their response was totally different. But typically, we're not intimidated by little children. So Jesus puts a child into their midst. And he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent. Whoever receives this child. Since we're talking about children, let me talk about opportunities for you to serve because as the passage is teaching us, to be first you must be last and to be last you must be the servant of all. And we just happen to have a need in our church for servants in our children's ministry. It seems like there is a constant need there in the children's ministry. But Jesus takes a child to illustrate this importance of being first in the kingdom. And so if you're going to be first, you need to receive children. And so there's an opportunity for you here to serve in our children's ministry and to help with the needs there. And I want you to know, if you do that, that's not the job where you're going to get thanked the most at. These little children are not going to come to you, hey, thank you, that was a great lesson this morning. Let, let, let me tell you what a good job you did. Uh, they're not going to say, hey, thanks for changing my diaper this morning. That, that was very servant-like you to, to take care of me in that way. But Jesus uses children to illustrate a key to being great. And by the way, to be first, you must be what? Last. And to be last, you must be what? Servant of all. That's why as a church, we're going to stress to you that we want to see you connect, grow, and serve.
And we're going to provide opportunities within this body for you to do all three, to connect, to grow, and to serve. But to advance in the kingdom, to be all that God wants you to do, you must have a place where you are serving. So let me ask you that question, where are you serving? Now, I know for some, you are actively serving within the ministry, and we completely thank you for all the service that you do. Uh, For others, we have some of you now that have come back to church, and that's been a major uh, step on your behalf. And let, let me say, it's so great to see this many people gathered here to worship the Lord together. I know that we can worship online, but it is not the same as being together with God's people. And so this gathering together, and I know that there are some that because of medical conditions, they probably shouldn't be here uh, yet, but there are others that they could be here and they're choosing not to come. And to them, I just want to say, hey, look, at some point you have to make a choice to come back. It's never going to be the perfect time. There's never going to be a time where all illness is eradicated. Now, please, don't say what you, you, you're critical of those who aren't coming, who have medical conditions and stuff. I am not at all, just at some point. And to those of you who have returned, but you've returned to church, but you've not returned to serving, uh, okay, you've had your break and vacation. It's time now for us to get back to work in serving the Lord. Because to be first, you have to be last. And to be last, you have to be a servant of all. The next thing I want you to see in the passage is a partisan disciple. A partisan disciple. Verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Because he was not following us. Don't miss that. He was not following us. When was it ever about following us? It's about following Christ. You can say, well, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, be ye followers of me. Yes, he did. He also said in 1 Corinthians 11.1 that we are to follow him even as I am following Christ. And that always needs to be the order. We can follow other individuals as long as they're following Christ. If they quit following Christ, then we shouldn't be following them. But as long as they're following Christ, Paul said, as long as I'm following him, you follow me. See, we are so prone to partisanship. We are so prone to our own groups. Oh, we have the best church in town. Someone else says, no, we have the best church in town. Listen, I thank God that God has blessed Maranatha Bible Church. And he's poured his blessings out upon this ministry. But we're not the only church in town. We're not the only good church in town. And I want you to know, if people are preaching the gospel, 
If a church is proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and standing on sound doctrine, we're not against one another. We're on the same team together. And there's too much division within the ranks of Christians that we're going to divide up because they're not of us and they don't do it quite the way we do it. And so they don't have the right way of doing it. You know, I think sometimes a little jealousy comes in. And I think there's some jealousy going on here as well. Notice what he said. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons. Well, isn't it interesting? Back in this chapter, in verse 18, that's something the disciples failed at. John and the other disciples were not able to cast out a demon. But here's someone who's being able to cast out demons, and they have to be a follower of Christ. I mean, we can think in the book of Acts, when the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out demons, invoking Jesus' name. You remember they told the, the man that was possessed of, of demons to say, we adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. You remember what happened? It didn't turn out so well for the seven sons of, of Sceva as the man who was demon-possessed got up and beat them all up. And they went running out of the room. That's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's right there to see that occurring. These individuals, or this individual, who had cast out the demons, must have been a follower of Christ. You say, well, where did he come from? Well, he may have been one of John the Baptist's disciples. He may have been one of the 70. Remember there was a time Jesus sent the 70 out? He sent them out on a mission well, their mission was, was completed with that. They weren't among the, the 12. He could have been one of them that John didn't know. But he was doing the work of the Lord. And notice what Jesus said. He says in, in verse 39, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Don't stop him. If he's doing it in my name, he's not going to turn around and speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. If he's not against us, then he is for us. And then there's something in the passage that follows. That having read this passage many times, I didn't see it till I was studying the passage for this message. Look what follows. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Look at it carefully. Whoever gives you a cup of water. Now over in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a case where Jesus talks about if you give a cup of water in his name, you'll not lose your reward. But here he says, whoever gives you. 
Could it be, this is conjecture on my part, but could it be that this one that John wanted to forbid from doing the work of the Lord had given to John a cup of water? There seems to be the emphasis here on whoever gives to you a cup of water. Could it be that as John met this guy, that the guy gave him a cup of water, gave something to meet a need of John, did something to refresh John, and now John's turning on him. And John say, hey, don't do this work. You're not of us. Isn't it so easy for us to be critical of others? And isn't it so easy of us to look to others who have ministered to us in the past and who have blessed us when they do something that's not quite what we want them to do or how we want them to do it, that we turn on them and become critical of them? See, we're still talking about here this whole principle of being the greatest. Because whoever wants to be first has to be what? Last. And whoever, and in order to be last, we must what? Be a servant. To be first, you must be last. And to be last, you must be a servant. Well, there's something else I want you to see in the passage. But before I go there... I want to share the right attitude when it comes to others who are ministering for Jesus. And we get that from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 in verses 15 to 18. See, Paul was criticized by others. But Paul writes and says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And that should be the attitude of all of us. The focus is not on us. The focus is on Christ. The next thing now that I want you to see in the passage is the greatest example. And actually, it's in the verses right before the passage we read this morning, back in verse 30. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples. Jesus wants some alone time with his disciples. So he doesn't want anyone to know that he's making his way to Capernaum. And he's saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. The Son of Man, a term from the Old Testament, means Jesus, means Jesus as God, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
and they're going to kill him. Now here's the picture of the greatest servant of all, is it not? Jesus has come from heaven and all the splendors of heaven. And he didn't think of all of that as something that he should grasp onto. But he was willing to empty himself. And he was willing to come to the earth. And he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he came and willingly went to the cross and shed his blood so that we could become the children of God. For all who will put their faith and trust in him will be saved. But in order for us to be saved, Jesus had to make himself to be a servant. And he served us by coming and dying, and thank God he rose again displaying that he has the power to rise again and the power over death. But notice what verse 32 says. But they did not understand the saying. They were afraid to ask him. But as they go along, they begin to argue about who's the greatest. Well, Jesus is the greatest, and Jesus sets the example. And if we measure ourselves up against Jesus, so let's put, it, let, let's, let's put it there, let's make two columns, let's talk about Jesus and the greatest, and then let's talk about ourselves. There's not really much to compare, is there? He is the greatest, and he showed us the example that in order to be first we must be what last and to be last we must what be a servant of all this morning just wonder if you're here do you know Jesus Christ as you're here do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior have you put your faith and trust in him He left heaven to come and die to provide the only way of salvation for us. Through his blood, we are saved. Put your faith and trust in him. And for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, if he could humble himself and be a servant, What should we do? Because in order to be first, we must be, and to be last, we must serve them. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth and the principles found within your word. And Father, I pray this morning, if anyone is here and does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today they would put their faith and trust in him. Father, I pray that you would help each of us that follow you to commit ourselves to serve you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.